Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh my Lord, we'd be in trouble. Praise the Lord. We are so glad, once again, God's people are faithful, faithful to his house, and thankful for people that even in the holiday season, we're getting back into the swing of things, and we can come together in the house of God tonight. Matthew chapter 4, if you join me there, familiar portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 4, what is commonly known as the temptation of Christ. If you would open there in your Bible tonight, I want to begin this sermon by showing you a video that is a recreation of a very famous uh, scientific test that took place back in the 60s. Uh, and so this has been recreated many times, but uh, this little video, have we got it? This little video is a, is a modern recreation of it, and it is called the Marshmallow Test. Anybody ever heard of the Marshmallow Test? Okay, well, I'm about to educate you tonight. Marshmallow Test is a way of measuring self-restraint, and uh, if you are ready, go ahead and play that tonight. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have to. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really good.
it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. marshmallow test. Do you see the internal struggle boiling inside of them? This is a very famous test originally uh, that was run by a group at Stanford University back in the 60s, as I mentioned. But what was interesting is that they followed the, the uh, subjects in the study, and they did a follow-up later on. Years later, as they uh, checked back in with the, the people who had grown up, they were little kids when they did the test back in the 60s, and then they did a follow-up test in the 80s, after about 20 years. And uh, it was amazing for them to see the difference between the children who were able to restrain themselves and the children who went ahead and ate that marshmallow, the difference, how it played out in their lives. Here's what they found. The, the, the follow-up study, 1988, showed that preschool children who delayed gratification longer, 10 years later, they were described by their parents as ad adolescents who were significantly more competent. In other words, they were doing better in school. Later on, it showed that the ability to delay gratification correlated with higher SAT scores. Interesting. A 2011 study, same participants from this same study, showed that the characteristic remains with the person for their entire life. They did brain scans of these people, and they showed that the ones developed in the area of self-control had a more active prefrontal cortex. I don't know what that means, but I think it's good. It means tonight that, the, uh, that those who were able to control themselves were less likely to fall into addictions, addictive behavior. So let me just throw this in for free. Parents, how do you think your children would do? 
It's kind of a test of parenting, isn't it? Uh, so I would encourage you, children, uh, parents with children, run the marshmallow test on them. See how you're doing. It's not a test of your kids. It's a test of your parenting tonight. But what this ultimately shows us tonight is that there is great value in delayed gratification. There is great value in your life being able to control your own desires. And so tonight, this is a message that I've entitled Weight Problems, and that is W-A-I-T, because that is something that we don't like to do, right? We don't like to wait. So this is Weight Problems, and I want to read from Matthew chapter 4, perhaps the ultimate test of instant gratification was this temptation that Satan brought into the mind of Jesus himself. And so let's read this together. Matthew 4, beginning with verse 8. The devil took him, Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. How easy would that be, right? Indeed, it was Satan's to give. The Bible says that he is the king of this world, isn't it? And that Satan had it to give to Jesus. Oh, all you got to do is bow down and worship me, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do all this hard stuff. You don't have to wait for thousands of years. I can give you this world right now if you want it. I can put that marshmallow right in front of your face, Jesus. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, I thank you for the precious people gathered in this house tonight. I'm praying, God, that you would give us, Lord, the strength, God, the ability, the desire for delayed gratification. God, to be able to control ourselves. There is no greater mark of the Spirit of God moving in our lives than the ability to control our own desires. And I'm praying tonight that you would cause in us, in this place, Lord, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that would overcome our fleshly desires in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. We live tonight in a very instantaneous-oriented generation. There's a lot of things that you can have right now if you want them. The world is driven by the, the technological advancement to get things more quickly than you've ever had them before. For example, tonight, I have an Amazon Prime membership, which means I can get almost anything I want in two days or less. I don't even have to get off the couch it will be delivered right to my door. Can you imagine what it would be like for our ancestors, even for people who lived 50 years ago, for people who are used to every day have to go to the store down the street and get something and then bring it back to the house? Uh, you don't have to do that anymore. Could you imagine if we put somebody in a time machine and they popped out right now in 2018 and they saw you ordering your toilet paper? 
on Amazon Prime? Could you imagine how amazing that would be to them? Because everything is driven in our culture at this goal of making things more convenient, more quickly delivered, more instantaneous. You have uh, access tonight to instant information. Could you imagine, before the internet, I know it's hard to imagine, but before the internet was available to you, it was only, what, 20 years ago? Less? I can remember having to go to a library to find information. Or you could go to a very smart person that you trusted. What you couldn't, what you could not do is pull out a little magical device and say, hey Google, or hey Siri, what is the capital of Madagascar, and have instant information. Some of your phones just went off, didn't it? <laughs> uh, and, and you have access tonight to instant information. You don't have to wait for that. It's changing the way we think. You have access today to instant entertainment, instant movies, instant YouTube. All you have to do is click a few buttons and you have hours and hours and days and months of entertainment at your fingertips. You have, uh, I have a Spotify account and I pay 10 bucks a month to have access to two and a half million songs. In an instant, I can find anything I want and listen to whatever I want instantly. It's incredible. It's amazing. Coffee. You don't even have to wait for it to brew anymore. You can make it instant. It wasn't so long ago that if you wanted to cook a, cook a, uh, a sandwich, that you would have to get the bread, slice the bread, put the cheese, put the meat, put the, you know, that takes time. Or you could go buy the pre-made ones in the frozen aisle and pop them in the microwave for 30 seconds. Hot pocket. It's instant, right? Everything is directed at this goal of making things more convenient, more quick. It's got to be faster. Pastor, you're preaching too long. I want an instant sermon. And we bring this mentality into the church sometimes and we think, that we can have instant Christianity. And we think that we can have instant discipleship. And we think that we can have instant holiness. Am I preaching to anybody here tonight? We think that we can get this mentality where uh, we can just bring this into God's kingdom. You know, it, 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 we have also disposable things. All around us is disposable. You got disposable uh, dishes, you got disposable cameras. You got disposable uh, uh, silverware cups. You don't have to wash these things anymore. You can just uh, disposable contact lenses. Uh, you can get burner phone if you really, if you really, you know, in a pinch, you can just go buy a phone for ten bucks, use it for a week, and then throw it. Right? You don't care. Uh, and so we think this. We bring this mentality of temporary disposal and instant usage. We bring this into the kingdom. We think that miracles are going to act the same way. We think that the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is going to work the same way. Let me ask you tonight. Is the God that we serve and the things that He does, are they typically instant? Oh no. In the kingdom of God, the things that God is doing in your life, 
It's not a microwave. It's more like a slow cooker, more like a crock pot. You know how a crock pot works, right? And you put the ingredients in there, and you set the thing, and you say, okay, I'm going to come back to this in eight hours. And when I come back, it's going to be wonderful. And that's usually how it works. The things that cook slowly are better. Have you ever had really good barbecue? It's the one that's slow cooked. It's the meat that has been aged for a couple of weeks. It's the one that's been in the smoker for 48 hours. That's just melting off the bone. Now that is good, but you can't do that instantly. You can't take, uh, you can't take that right off the, the cow and cook it up in five minutes. It takes time. And I want to tell you tonight, there are some things that God wants to do in your life that they're going to take time. There are some miracles. Yes, we all thank God and we praise God when we see instant miracles. And God does them from time to time. There are some miracles. There are some deliverance things that happen in your life that God will heal. Just snap his fingers and change something about you. Thank God for those kinds of miracles. I remember when I got saved, it was like instantly I had no desire to cuss anymore. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it happened. But all of a sudden, I would hear myself cussing and I say, oh, I don't like it, and instantly change that. And since then, very few cuss words have come out of my mouth in 25 years. But I want to tell you tonight, God doesn't change you like that in every area of your life. Most of the things that God is changing in you are going to take months, are going to take years, are going to take the slow cooker approach. This is what we see in our scripture tonight. Remember the temptation that the devil brought before Jesus. He brought him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, all of these I will give you instantly, right now, Jesus. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. How effective is that strategy? Now just think about for a moment, I mentioned before, but think about all of the things that Jesus is going to have to do in order to become king of the world. We know that it is his right. We know that it is his future. That from, uh, from eternity past, God has predicted that Jesus is going to be the king of the universe. But think, from this moment when he's there on the earth and he is beginning his ministry, think of how many things have to fall into line before this is actually going to happen. If Jesus is going to get there, he's going to have to live a perfect life. How's that for pressure? If you're going to be king, you have to live a perfect life, Jesus, without one sin. You're going to have to face every temptation, and you're going to have to pass every test. How would you like that pressure? That was exactly the pressure that was on Jesus. You're going to have to suffer at the hands of men. These puny ants, these insects of the world are going to have to put me to the cross? I don't think so. But that's exactly what he had to endure, wasn't it? He had to be rejected, not just by his own people, the Jews, but ultimately by all mankind. He was going to have to get beat, his beard pulled from his face, crown of thorns, crucifixion. Jesus is thinking about all these things, and then he's going to have to be resurrected from the dead. And then he's going to have to begin his church. 
And then He's going to have to send the Holy Spirit down to those mere mortal men. And He's going to have to trust them that they're going to know what they're doing. And He's going to put all of the, the, the future of the church in the hands of these apostles. And He's trusting that they are going to pass it on to another generation. And that thousands of years are going to have to go by. And people continue to trust Him over time. And He's trusting that here in 2018, that there's a few people in here that still care about the will of God and doing His purpose on the earth. And eventually, after enough time has passed, then Jesus is going to have to come down here and kill everyone who doesn't believe in Him. And wipe this world clean. And then, after a thousand years rule and reign with Christ, the devil will come out with one more swipe at Him. And after the final battle is won, then, and only then, can Jesus take His place as King of the universe. See, what the devil is doing now is he's giving him the microwave way. He's giving him the marshmallow. Okay, if you eat it now, you can have it. No big deal. But if you'll wait, then you can have two. This is about self-control. This is a temptation that the devil gives to every single one of you tonight. He says, I'll give you a path to the thing that you want and the thing that you deserve. But you have to do it my way. The devil said to Jesus, you can have what, you, what is rightly yours, Jesus, and you can have it today for the low, low price of bowing your knee and worshiping me. There's very few people in this instant generation that can resist that temptation. You can have it, and you can have it now. This is the reason why there is so much sexual sin in our generation. Can I be honest with you? This is why there is so much uh, abortion happening down at the abortion clinic. This is why generations of tiny little babies are being destroyed in their mother's wombs because people can't wait. This is why there's people stealing, taking things that don't belong to them, creeping into houses at night or during the day because they can't wait for a paycheck at the end of two weeks. Anybody still hearing me tonight? This is what the result of instant gratification, it always makes you a slave. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, they could not restrain themselves. They could not control themselves. And you will face a decision like this nearly every day. God's way is to wait, or the devil's way is to take it now. This is tonight, this is connected to emotional discipline. We all tonight, we all have a part of ourselves called the flesh. The Bible calls it the flesh, the part of us that wants to sin. The part of us that wants to feel good, no matter what the consequences are. No matter who gets hurt in the process, flesh is what demands instant gratification. Flesh is the, the, the feeling of, I want it, and I want it now, and I don't care the price I have to pay for it. This is why families are torn apart. This is why for years, Pastor Campbell preached so hard against Facebook, 
and social media because what was happening is that as this new uh, avenue of, of, uh, of finding people online was, was coming of age, what was happening is that there'd be uh, a wife who has a husband, four children in the house. And she goes on Facebook and she finds the old squeeze from 10th grade and starts talking to this person on Facebook. And pretty soon before you know it, She's leaving her family and her four children to go to Tennessee or someplace to find that spark again. And it happened over and over. What is that? That is the flesh. I don't, have, I don't care how many, how many lives I burn in the process. I want what I want. That's instant gratification. It's a lack of emotional and spiritual discipline. Your flesh is the part of you that wants to sin. And you tonight, you are a liar if you tell me, oh no, pastor, I don't struggle with the flesh anymore. Are you dead? Because that's the only people I know who don't struggle with the flesh anymore, is those who are with Jesus. You're telling me you never have a bout with pride? You're telling me that you never have a doubt about with greed. You never are tempted by when your brother or your sister gets blessed and you don't. You get jealous. You telling me tonight that you never have a, a sexual desire for someone that you're not supposed to. That tonight is your flesh, and it is an eternal struggle as long as you are in this world. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Can I tell you something tonight? Something very simple, but something you need to hear. If you are going to live for God, you're going to have to deny your flesh. You're going to have to say no to yourself. You're going to have to put that marshmallow back on the paper plate. If you're going to live for God and you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to figure out how to do this. To say that powerful word to yourself, no. No. That's not who I am. That's not what Christians do. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to burn people and burn myself. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary say contrary you know what that means they're fighting they're enemies to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish let's look at learning to delay gratification you need patience tonight you need to learn how to wait for some things i lost the amens a while ago i don't know what happened but in the kingdom of God, there are things you're going to have to wait for. There are things that God is slow cooking in your life. And they're not ready yet. Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. But those who wait upon the Lord... They shall inherit the earth. Do you hear that tonight? 
Lamentations 3.26, it is good for one to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Romans 8.25, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 15.5, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love suffers long. Galatians 6.9, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I could keep going. I will. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Hebrews 6.12, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Can I tell you something? Let me give you a little secret about living for God. You know, my wife and I, we have been together in serving God for a few years. And what I've noticed about people who go the long distance, it's not people who are highly talented. The people who serve God for more than 5 or 10 or 15 years, the people who are on the path of God's will for their lives. It's not people who are high flyers or pretty faces. It's not people with large bank accounts. That's not the common denominator. You know who it is? It is simply this. It's people who have self-control. Who can say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do God's will. People who have the patience. God, I don't know what you're doing here but I believe you're slow cooking something good for me. This hurts right now, and I don't want to stay here, but I will, because I believe you're cooking something good for me. That's what it takes tonight. That's the best advice I could give you. I I don't understand everything. I know you think, you know, as a pastor, I've got it all figured out. But here's the only thing I have figured out. is just... Trust God and say no to your flesh, and you'll survive. God will help you. There are examples of people in the Scripture who don't get their way. There's a king named Ahab. You read it on your own time, 1 Kings chapter 21. He wanted a a little vineyard, a little garden for himself. The problem was it didn't belong to him. It belonged to a family who lived there by the gate. And he came to this guy and he says, hey, I'll, I'll give you, I'll purchase this, uh, this, this little vineyard, this little garden from you. Uh, so so uh, uh, he, he came and he talked to this guy, Naboth, and he says, give me this vineyard so that I, I can have it. It's near my house. It would be very convenient if you just, uh, I'll, I'll pay you for it, okay? This man said, I'm sorry, king. It's not really mine to give. Belongs to my family. It's an inheritance through these generations. I can't give it to you even if I wanted to. Now, Ahab could have said, okay, no problem. Could have gone on with his business. Something interesting that Ahab did, something that many of you I've seen you do, (laughs) he went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth had spoken to him. He laid down on his bed and turned his face and wouldn't eat food like a little baby. 
He threw a temper tantrum. The king of Israel threw a temper tantrum when he didn't get his way. Isn't that the generation that we live in today? If I don't get my way. And so what did he do? He gave his authority away to wicked Jezebel, who was more than willing to use it to destroy the righteous man. And guess what? The guy who protected his garden ended up dead. It was a wicked, wicked thing. Naaman. Naaman didn't get what he wanted. He got a plan from the servants of Elisha, but he didn't like it. He said, I think I got a better way. Maybe I, I can do it my own way, and then I'll be healed. Thank God there was a little... There was a little uh, girl there, a servant girl, who, who saw through his temper tantrum. He finally did what he was supposed to do. And here's the thing tonight. What we learn from stories like this is that it doesn't matter who you are or how much you've been through, you could be a general in the army, and you can still have a little temper tantrum like a little baby. You could be a king. And with all that power and authority, you can still whine and cry and turn your face to the wall and act like a child. And I've seen grown men do the same thing. It's amazing. Pastor Campbell, he says, you never know what's in a man until you tell him no. Oh, it's amazing. When you say uh, no, you're not going to do that. I, I, I wouldn't do that if I was you. That's usually how. I try to be nice. I try to polish it a little bit for you. And what I say is, I wouldn't do that if I was you. But you know what I really mean? Don't do it, you idiot! No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but tonight, it's amazing what happens when you tell somebody no. Have you ever told your children no? I hope you have. When you say no, you're not going to eat that. You're not going to eat that donut right before dinner, right? And then you see what's really in them. Sometimes God is going to tell you no. And you're going to have to put up with that. You're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to say, God, I think you're cooking up something good, even though I don't understand this now. I close with this thought. A disciplined life is a powerful life. We talk about discipline. The word disciple, you cannot have discipleship without discipline. If you want to be a life that has great power and influence, you want to have a life that makes an impact for God, somewhere you're going to have to learn how to discipline yourself. George Washington, the uh, founding father, they called him the indispensable man. Without George Washington, we would not have the United States as it is. That's the simple truth. How did he become so influential? There were very few people in his generation or since or before who were as disciplined as General George Washington. You know, they say respect the nerds in class because they'll probably be your boss one day. You know why the nerds will become your boss? Because the nerds are the more disciplined ones. When everybody else is out partying, they're at home reading a book, studying for the SAT. And all the big CEOs of big corporations today, you know what? They're probably the nerds back in high school, the ones you made fun of. Because discipline leads to power. Are you with me tonight?
Discipline leads to power, just like a horse needs a bridle. An explosion needs an engine block. A wind needs a sail. And only then can it become productive. Just like that tonight, your mind, your heart, your life, before it can be useful for God, must have discipline. This is what Jesus showed us in our Scripture as we close. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, how in the world could Jesus do this? How could Jesus take His mouth off of that marshmallow of instant world domination? How could He do that? The reason is because He had done this before many times. The reason why tonight you are able either to give in to temptation or to resist temptation, it's not just some instantaneous power that God is going to supernaturally sprinkle in your mind. It's not like Neo in the Matrix. We're just going to upload into you the ability to resist temptation. Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could follow you around for 24 hours and say, no, 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 don't do that. But I can't do that. How is this possible? How can you get this superpower of resisting temptation tonight? It's day by day, little by little, one step at a time, and it's going to take time. Can I be honest with you? It's going to take years. It's going to take years. Jesus had for years been disciplined in the Word, Word of God. We found Him in the temple at 13 years old, reading the scroll, right? He was there, He was teaching the learned men how to understand the Bible at 13 years old. No wonder when it came to the time where He had to go toe-to-toe with the devil that He knew exactly what to say. Because from 13 years old, He was studying the Word of God. He had done it a few times. The slow cooker of discipline in his life had come to a point that it was useful to him. How is it that Jesus could say no to the devil? Because he had done it a thousand times before then. He had done it, and he had done it well. What about you tonight? There will be a time in your life that the devil, he will offer up to you something that your flesh wants so desperately. He'll put it on a plate and say, hey, you could have it now if you wanted. You don't have to wait for later. Oh, God's just trying to put all these rules on you. Phooey. Take your shortcut, man. Shortcut to happiness, to fulfillment. Jesus, not only had he done it before, the Bible says that he knew the promises that God had for him. Ephesians 1.22, listen carefully. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Jesus not only knew because he had done it before, but he also knew what was coming. Jesus knew the promises that God had given to him. This is what you and I have to have on our brains. When the time of temptation comes, God, I know what you've done in the past, and I know your promises for me in the future. That'll hold you. That'll keep you. I close with this final thought, Isaiah 40, verse 31. 
Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How about you tonight? Do you have weight problems? Do you have problems waiting for things in life? Do you have problems waiting for recognition? Do you have problems waiting for success? Oh, God, when is it going to get better? We shake our fist at him. Oh, God, when am I finally going to have some stability? Some things take time. You know, financial peace, university is coming up. Do you think that you're going to have financial success? Just wave a magic wand. Poof. Oh, it's going to take time. Dave Ramsey. It's going to take time, man. It's not a quick fix. This is not microwave. This is a slow cooker. Doing the hard decisions. Saying, no, I don't need that trinket. I need to stay on track. What about you tonight? Is God developing discipline in your life? Are you working with Him or against Him? Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Close our eyes as we allow the Spirit of God to challenge us. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.